Good evening, and welcome to the Television Graveyard. We are your TV necromancers, Laura Prince and Noah Houlihan. We have come here tonight to examine the spirits of past television shows, to find out which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This will be a podcast in which we analyze the history, the hype, and the aftermath of shows that ran only one season, or some, like this one, that ran only one episode. This is the month of legends, and legend has it, only one show has been cancelled before the first episode was finished airing. With me, as always, is Noah Houlihan. I gave her the big one, and she thanked me for it. Today we are discussing Turn On. Turn On ran exactly once. February 5th, 1969. And then there was a second episode produced. And rumor has it more episodes produced but never completed. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Like, the monkeys were supposed to be in a later episode and filmed for it. Really? But none of the other episodes ever were completed. Ooh. I mean, that that's, like, kind of important media. Like, the monkeys are a big deal. and I mean, they were a huge deal in the 60s. Right. So, like... To have something of them that, like, no one's ever seen, it's very interesting. The show is called Turn On, and uh, this is the first show that you cannot watch with us. Yes. Sorry. We we'll had, give you directions if you want to go see this. Uh, we had to take the very first... I want to I go into this story a little bit for what we had to do to watch this show. Absolutely. Um, we were in New York for WrestleMania weekend. Yeah. And we went up to the Paley Center for Media... Which, if you're in the New York area and you've ever got some time to just kind of, you know, burn inside on a nice day, go to the Paley Center for Media. It's cool. Yeah, they got VR. I played Spider-Man. But more than that, they have nearly every TV show you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, We were on the Lost Media Index, which is a website, and they said that the only episodes of Turn On were available in one place and one place alone. Mm -hmm. The Paley Center in New York which we happened to be going to in a couple weeks. So we went in, uh, there's a suggested donation, we paid it, and we got an hour and a half of library time. Yes. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And we we could pull up almost anything. It was crazy. Like, they, they had every episode of The Simpsons, they had every Looney Tune, they had, I was watching this little girl that was also there with her mom. I love that kid. Watch stuff. And she was like, it's my birthday. This is what I wanted to do. And she went and watched Fat Albert cartoons. I was like, this is a cool kid. Yeah, like, we were uh, paying our admission next to this little girl and her mother. And the little girl was quiet. And her mom was like, yeah, this is her number one thing for her birthday weekend. So this is where we are, I guess. We're going to go watch The Addams Family. (laughs) Because my favorite thing is Parents of Nerds. Yeah, they're just like, I don't get it. (laughs) Who are like... Trying to do right by their children, yeah. but have no idea what's going on. I'm a great mom, so I'm just going to sit next door and be confused for an hour and a half. Yeah, I mean, she was a sport. It was great. Uh, we were really grateful that kid couldn't see what we were watching. Yeah. We were better off seeing what she was watching than vice versa. Uh, turn on... What time What time slot do you think this aired in? Oh, what time slot? Uh, this has to be... I would put this at like 10, 
8.30. 8.30 is too early. No one's stoned yet. Well, it was the 60s, so maybe they were. Uh, this show was uh, panned for its content. Yeah. Its content, uh, it's one of those things, it's hard to translate for a 2019 audience, because, you know, the audience that watches Game of Thrones would not be scandalized by Turn On. Right, right. But when you have, you know, what people were in 1969 on network television before bedtime. Like, what What was the lead-in? And more importantly, what was the lead-out? Like, what had to follow this abomination? Um, what poor show <laughs> lost all its viewers that week? Its lead-in was Here Come the Brides which was an American comedy western series, uh, which was about, like, importing marriageable women from the East Coast. Thanks, Wikipedia. Oh, my God. It was during, like, Manifest Destiny, when there was a lot of men out West and no ladies. So it was, like, about importing women, which is, you know, a lighthearted comedy about human trafficking. Well, it's very interesting, the idea that a period piece... Followed or was the lead in to turn on because let me we're going to try the best we can to set the stage of what this show is. And its lead out was the movie. The movie of the week. Yes. And it replaced the very popular show Peyton Place. Oh, so a bunch of people were expecting a show they liked and got turned on. It was heavily advertised that it was going to be turned on the show. It wasn't a surprise airing. Still, it happens. Uh, people were already mad that they were losing Turn On. Or, excuse me, that they were losing Peyton Place to Turn On because Peyton Place was considerably considerably more popular. Okay, so here's the basic premise. It takes place in an all-white room with yes. a supercomputer. This is meant to be the first-ever computer-generated TV show. Now, don't think about, like, Reboot. What happens is they press buttons on this computer and a sketch starts. Sketch is a, such a generous term. It is. But a sketch starts with actual actors and cartoon set pieces. Like, yes. Like sets that look like cartoons. They remind me, the art style of the cartoon sets reminded me of Schoolhouse Rock. Okay. Like that look. I would say it reminded me of Cool World, where instead of doing, like, the good Roger Rabbit of real life uh, and cartoons, they just painted the set to look cartoony and stood in front of it. Yes. So I'm just trying to give you a vague idea of what it is. Think elementary school play. Yes, that's a very good way to put it. Uh, one of my notes is cheap. Yes. Aspects of the very show. Very cheap. Uh, certain aspects of the show were clearly very inexpensive, and certain aspects of the show were clearly very expensive. Yeah. So, I'm still trying to get the the core concept over to our listeners here. A sketch starts, and it just kind of pops into existence. It lasts, at max, seven seconds. And then, boom, cut to another sketch, air quotes. Repeat for 30 minutes. (laughs) The show never feels like it begins is the biggest, like, jarring thing about this show. Yeah, it never feels like we've gotten to the show. Because I remember when we watched it, I was like, okay, that is 
like the lead-in. Cool, like the real show will start soon. No. 18 minutes, I thought we were still in the cold open of a 28-minute show. Uh, I'm going to actually, this might help our viewers. If you've seen The Office, there's an episode where they're all at Gabe's house. And Gabe makes everyone watch a horror movie that doesn't have a plot because plot is comforting. Yes. This is that in sketch comedy form. Yeah. Uh, so it, but it's, it's, it's even worse than that because I want you to understand the sketches last about seven seconds where it's just like, here's kind of a premise. Here's the punchline. And then either like cut, fade or dissolve to new thing. Yes. On top of that, there are cartoons that happen in front of the sketch you're watching. So while you're watching a sketch, a little cartoon will walk by with, like, an amusing sign. Or, like, a provocative one. Yeah, just something distracting. Yeah, like an airplane with a banner that says, like, free Oscar Wilde. Yes, don't understand that. Yeah, like, it's very... Uh, it felt provocative for the sake of being provocative. Yeah. And the thing that's, like, weird about it is sometimes it's a cartoon. Sometimes it's an animated cartoon. Yes. Sometimes it is a cardboard cutout that is clearly just being dragged across the floor. Yes. So, like, while the show itself is already so overwhelming to understand, there's also something else happening in front of it. Yep. Yeah, like... And uh, we have to talk about the score, because that's very important. Uh, yes. This made heavy use of the Moog synthesizer. And the Moog synthesizer kind of came into vogue later that year. The Beatles used it in one of their albums. Okay. And that was what, like, contextualized it for people. But it's very, like... It was very jarring. And, again, it was... The whole thing was set to make people uncomfortable. Right. And this, if I can find a clip of music that sounds like it, I'll I'll play it here. But this music plays over the entire show. Yes. So instead of getting, like, mood music or appropriate music, there's just a constant unrelated noise on top of a confusing sketch that lasts seven seconds on top of a cartoon that's happening. It's utter madness. Honestly, to me, we we talked about this with Not Without My Anus, of like, I am very easily made uncomfortable Yeah. by things on screen like that. Like, I, one of the reasons I'm not a big Adult Swim person is Adult Swim likes to make the viewer uncomfortable. Yes. If we had not been watching this in a well-lit room on a beautiful day. Yes, in a room full of people. With several other people, I feel like this would have freaked me out. Yeah, absolutely. Because the the definition of creepy, I recently did a whole thing about horror for PowerPoint. Uh, but creepy, the, the feeling of creepy is the normal made strange. Right. So that's why, like, if you see um, a... That's why, like, the Uncanny Valley happens. Where it's like, there's something wrong with the way that person looks and I can't place it. Uh, you know, something with... Something normal with abnormally large teeth. Like, that's creepy because it's wrong. That's why, like, haunted house movies and scary children. Yes. So, 
you're basically just taking the TV and making it slightly wrong. Because that's not how TV should function. Right. So it's very, like, jarring and upsetting. Now, there's, like, like we said, uh, it's only at the Paley Center. Yes. We were able to find a single clip of this show yeah. on YouTube. Because it is another show talking about it. So I'll play the one tiny clip here. It's time to turn on. She said it was wonderful. And she thanked me for the big one. It's from a documentary dissecting the failure. Yes, so that's E. Eddie Edwards, which is the only, like, named character we get. He looks like a used car salesman version of Robbie Rotten from Lazy Town. Yes. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. Like, to the point where I was like, is this where they got that look? Because that's exactly what he looks like. And he gets, like, the most screen time. He has a few, like, longer sketches. Yeah, he's like a shoe salesman, clear foot fetishist. Yes, he does a, a, a sketch about how he cares about women's feet. And if you join this program and you care about feet, he can get you a job as a shoe salesman. And during this, a cartoon character comes by that's holding a sign that says, E. Eddie Edwards is a pervert. Yes. It's very interesting to me that this is the only character we have. This is the only named character that comes back again and again. Yes. And we're establishing him as a person you don't want to be near. Yes. Like, it's a very unsettling uh, situation. So, And the only other recurring character is not really named. It's the body politic. Oh, yes. There is a beautiful blonde woman in... A, uh, like a beautiful flowing dress who makes naughty innuendos about politics and boobs. Yeah, that and that's her whole bit. And it would say, like, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the body politic. And it would have the same camera that would go up her body. Yes. Like that classic shot. And she will say something that could be a double entendre. Like the cleavage between nations. Yes, the, the cleavage between remember. nations the one I remember, too. Uh, so we get that, uh, and it's it comes off as very cheap because they reuse stuff a lot. Yes. Uh, they reuse that clip of E. Eddie Edwards saying, uh, I gave her the big one and she thanked me, like, in both episodes that we watched. Yes. And there's also a sketch where uh, someone is going to jail, and he says, well, copper... I get one phone call. They do this sketch three times. Yes. And it is the obvious joke of he calls to deliver a pizza. He calls the time lady. He calls the time lady and another one where what would be another obvious like uh, that's not who you call. I think he calls a sex line. Yes. It's like, oh, yeah. Like I, I get that it's the 60s and like. These jokes are new, <laughs> but, like, it's not clever. It's not interesting. Yeah, it was super interesting because I... Another repeated joke. Now, something that's interesting about Turn On, did you notice the makeup of the cast? This is something I did want to talk about. The cast is remarkably diverse. Yes. 
I like I was gonna say for 1969, but honestly, it's more diverse than the current Saturday Night Live cast. Yeah, it's really diverse. Now I will say they have a Hispanic gentleman who looks like a political cartoon satire because he is almost always depicted in a sombrero. He's always has a sombrero. He has like a mangy beard. Like he looks unkept. Right. For someone who's going to be on television. And he legitimately does uh the Kel no, the the Keenan sketch from all that where he translates words that are silly. Right. The, 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 who's the French guy in the back? Peter Escargot. Yeah, he does Peter Escargot. That's all he does is he says something like, if you meet your boss, say say this in Spanish. He says something in Spanish and he goes, now be ready for a fight because you called his wife a pig. One of them was how to get to a police station. And then he teaches you how to insult a cop. Yes. So so you end up at the police station. So, it's that which is super interesting. It's a pretty even split between men and women, from what I remember. Yes. And there is a... It looks like an Asian woman. Mm-hmm. And I was, like, surprised, because I was like, I can't name... I can name maybe two Asian female comedians. Like, right. through throughout all time, I can probably name two. So to see her, I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, that I have no idea who this person is who's on a sketch comedy show. She almost never speaks in the sketches. Did you notice that? I did not notice that. Yeah, she's given very few lines. Like, her job is to kind of, like, look pretty and look into the camera. Yeah, there's a lot of looking directly into the camera. And not in, like, the office way. And uh, there's an African-American gentleman... And an African-American lady. and But there's a lot of jokes about race. Yes. Uh, one of the punchlines is, for some reason, uh, they call the African-American man boy. Like Yes. And I don't mean for some reason, because I'm aware of the loaded right, racial right. connotations of that. I just mean they find some reason to call him that. Yes. Oh, uh, one of them is there's a shoeshine boy. A white shoeshine boy. And he's yelling out, like, shoeshine, shoeshine. And then he looks at a black man and goes, shine, boy. So the idea of, like, the black man is in the socioeconomic place to be getting a shoeshine. But the poor white shoeshine boy is still the one who's being racist. Yes. That's the one I have written down. Yeah, there's, there's, I know there's one where someone just goes, I don't get what's so hard about being black. And... Like, it's it's so quick that I might not be... It might not be that I'm not remembering what happens next. Yes. It could be that that was the whole sketch, is a white guy walks past a black guy going, I don't know why it's so hard to be black. Yeah, uh, there's also, in the second episode, there is a a black man talking about how, like, he can't be seen with a white woman on television. And then a white dude walks by with a black lady on his arm. Yes, yeah, I, I remember that one. Um, and how, like, the interracial thing is okay on that direction. There's also a recurring Southern gentleman. Like, Southern right. gentleman writer. Okay. And he talks about how, like, oh, the South has given us some of the greatest writers. Tennessee Williams, Mark Twain. Now, none of them live down there. 
Yeah, and then cut. <laughs> yes. It's all, like, one-liners, essentially, or two-liners. It's like a joke book. Yeah, I was about to say, it is a joke book, because one of the, the sketches, and I'm, again, using air quotes that they do, is they split the screen up into four screens. Yes. And each part of the joke happens in one part of the screen, but, like, it's still a conversation, so it's very confusing. Yes. One that I remember is, when are you just going to come to terms that you're working class? Because I don't consider myself working class. I can consider myself middle class. Well, then who is the working class? The unemployed. Which, what I just said, decent joke. Yeah. Like, I I, I use this term a lot when I'm talking about stand-up comedy of binary comedy, Mm -hmm. which is, on paper... It functions as a joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same way that a video game could function as a game but still not be fun. This functions as a joke, but it, the way it's being presented is not funny. It's just confusing. Yeah, it plays into that concept of that everyone who is a poor person voting against their own interest, they think themselves... Uh, there's a line where uh, much more intelligent person than me, says they consider themselves, quote, temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Okay. That idea of since they will one day become the upper class, they vote for the interests of the upper class. Okay. Instead of their own interests as lower or middle class people. Okay. It's a big thing about when people vote, like, for tax cuts for the wealthy that they will literally never see at their income. Right. That's what this reminded me of. That idea of like... Yeah, like there's clearly like a message here and stuff. But this joke that's being presented. Yes. Like it is a decent joke. But the way it is being presented is they're taking your screen. They're splitting it up into four spots. Yes. So the action is happening in the four different corners of your screen while unrelated music plays and a cartoon goes by with a kite. Yeah, it's very jarring. It's very difficult to follow. And I clearly start to freak out right around eight minutes in, based on my notes. Yes. Uh, There's also a Muppet cat that keeps uh, recurring. Yes, there is. There's like these weird, I I have in my notes, proto-SNL, because early Saturday Night Live episodes used Jim Henson early Muppets. Well, not Muppets, but Jim Henson's early works. Mm -hmm. And these have a Muppet-esque cat and a Muppet-esque hippo. Yes. And they're weird and all they really do is like Jim Halpert reaction shots. Yeah, they never really speak. They just look to camera. And that is it. But they do start, like, they do kind of have reaction Jim Halpert shots. Not like the human actors who just look in the camera seemingly to be disturbing. Yes. Well, I, I had... I made a very interesting connection. Mm-hmm. The cat puppet is like this weird-looking orange cat. It appears to me to be very similar to the cat from Too Many Cooks. Snarf? Yeah. And I, I was just like, huh, another just horrible thing this cat is in. I like to think that this pu- puppet cat is just a working actor, and these are just the gigs it's getting. 
He also, I believe, looks like the cat from the puzzle place. No, that's his more successful brother. Oh, this is getting really happy time murders? <laughs> yeah, looks exactly like the cat from the puzzle place. Yeah, it does. Um, we, we, we pulled up a picture. This also ties into, while we were in New York, I attempted to buy this terrifying Muppet cat plushie. Seeing the show turn on made me not want to buy it because I was afraid to bring part of that into my home. Understandable. Uh, one of the things about this show is uh, audiences did not like it. I, I'd imagine... Uh, can, can we explain just, like, a few more tidbits of this show? Absolutely. Okay. Because there's also a few, again, sketches that are blinking you miss it. Yes. The, the ones that come to mind for me is there is a shot of a guy getting punched in the face and then he has a black eye. Mm-hmm. And then 20 minutes later, it's a black guy getting punched in the face and he gets a white eye. Yeah. Okay. And then there's a couple that it's, the camera just moves quickly to a woman's belly button. With a drawing. And there's a drawing. So, like, there's an arm reaching out of it with a sign that says help. Yeah. There's a couple, like, kind of solid jokes. Like, when some, a judge offers a cop a porn magazine he he confiscated. And the cop goes, no, thank you. I don't own a pornograph. Yes, would you like some pornography? No, I don't own a pornograph. That's a good joke. Now, to be fair, that's a terrible joke in 1969 at 8.30 p.m. Yeah, that's a pretty bad joke for then. Uh, (laughs) There's another one where uh, a police officer, you see the back of a police officer and a man, and they knock on the door, and this woman opens and says, you need to control your husband. And she says, sorry, and then grabs the cop. Yeah. It's like, ah, okay, visual gag. Whatever. There's definitely a huge anti-authority bent on it. Uh, there's yes. a lot of anti-government. There's a lot of um, anti-cop. Because there's a moment where cops go, let us pray. And then they all pull out mace and mace the camera. Yeah. Which For addresses, reasons. like, the police brutality that marked a lot of the protests in the 1960s. Because you got to figure, this is peak... 1968 was one of the most tumultuous years in American culture. This is 1969 this is airing. So that's all very fresh in everyone's minds. Yes. So, like, police brutality. There's several sketches that involve the pill. Yes. There's a sketch that's just a woman desperately trying to get the pill out of a vending machine. And that's clearly, like, a commentary of people being alarmed that birth control was as easy to get as it was... Yeah, and there's some of the show I kind of remember as a Vietnam flashback. (laughs) Like, because there's a part where it's just a guy checking pockets. Yeah. And he has, like, thousands of pockets. He just takes his jacket off and there's more pockets. Yeah, he's trying to scratch himself. Is that what it was? Yes. I have no idea. He was trying to, like, there was an itch and he couldn't figure out how to get to it because of all the zippers in his outfit. Yeah. There's also... This weird ballet sequence where there's five or six beautiful ballerinas. Again, diverse. Yes. It's not just six white girls. And this weird little Rumpelstiltskin, like Lord Farquaad looking dude. Yeah. Bothering them. In a way that reminds me forcibly of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off video. (laughs) It's a white background, like Shake It Off. It's talented dancers being bothered by somebody who doesn't belong there, like Shake It Off. And on top of that, like, 
it shot differently because like it moves faster like it's a an eight millimeter film yes like it feels like there's gonna be a murder on it it feels like there's gonna be a payoff and they're never this repeats multiple times across both episodes yeah and there's never a payoff it's just these weird like kind of gags they and- don't work and there's also these sketches where it's two people's faces that are, like, almost kissing. And they tell a joke, and then one turns and looks at the camera. And the other person, like, looks away. Yes. Like, you know in the electric company where they taught you how to say words? Yes. Like, shh, ape, shape. Okay, they're way closer than those faces were in the electric fa- factory. It's funny that you use the electric factory because I was thinking of Avenue Q. They do the same thing where he keeps saying, come, and she finishes with Mittman. Come, Mittman. Oh, okay. Which is clearly supposed to be a parody of the electric factory, but I always think of the parody first. Right. Because I was older and had more permanent memory when well, I was watching that. Do you remember a joke from from like that style of sketch that they did? No. Oh, I thought you meant from the Electric Factory. No, from the from the show we're discussing. <laughs> yes, it's um, two women are talking, and one says, "What are we going to do about inflation?" And the second woman goes, "Well, I've been taking the pill." And the first woman just looks at the camera like, "Dumb." Yeah, and then there's like a broing. Yeah, like it's usually a question and answer like that, where yes. like one person asks a serious question. And then someone else zings back, and then the first person looks at the camera. Uh, it, sh- it should also be noted about this show is it doesn't end with credits. The credits happen just randomly throughout the show. Yes. Like, just sketch, sketch, sketch. Hey, here's who operated the camera. Sketch, 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 sketch. Um, there were still credits 18 minutes in after the show had been canceled in some networks. Oh, so some people didn't get... Credits for this terrible show. Yeah, I mean, some people didn't get the second 18 minutes of the show. (laughs) Yeah, well, what popped up instead? A black screen and live organ music, which was a device that was really only used in cases of extreme technical difficulties at the time. Yeah, I heard that there's an organ there basically in case the building was on fire. And it was just like, yeah, someone go. And it was a message that said, if I remember this correctly, the rest of this program will not be seen tonight or ever. I watched an interview with Tim Conway, and that's what he said. He said that that popped up because Tim Conway, who was the host of the first host or guest star, I guess, because he never really like hosts anything, yes. of the first episode, was at a party. Their premiere party. was at the premiere party, but it was in California. Mm-hmm. So by the time it was in the central time zone, the show was already canceled and like taken off the air for people to. The show didn't watching. air at all after like the central time zone. <laughs> Most Western markets never saw the show. So just ma- if we were doing this show from LA, it never would have aired in our town. So like, just imagine the stars of this show in a bar, telling the bartender like, "Yeah, we're gonna be on TV." And then 8.30 comes around and is like, nope, it's just a black screen. Yeah, like, it was very... I, I think that in the Western markets, they didn't have to use the black screen. That was just one... They, yeah. Uh, that was actually just Cleveland did that. Okay. 
and uh, before we we move on to like out of the context of the show, there is one long sketch I think we need to discuss. This sketch freaked me out. It is just Tom Conway's head. Yes. Against a black background, which is kind of jarring just because everything else was white. Yes. And then a woman's head, that, and there's just kind of floating in space, and it says sex above their head. Yes. What do you think happened? And then I will give my version of what I think happened. I think in that sketch, it's a man trying to get a woman to have sex with him, and she's initially refusing. And then, like, it comes out that he's wealthy, or money is somehow involved, and she acquiesces. And then they court and marry, and then she stops caring about sex. Okay. That's what I got from it. What I got was, there's definitely a part where he's mouthing the word sex, and she mouths back the word no. And then, he chases her. Yes. And, like, it's, like, their head's just, like, flying by. Mm-hmm. Then, they kind of get together. Yes. And then there's a moment where the word sex turns to the word X. Yes. And I was like, okay, I guess they're divorced now or they're not together. And then it just becomes sex again. So I took it as like when they're together, sex was not interesting. But once they split up, it became better. Okay. That's that's what I took from it. Uh, there's also another sketch that super bothered me that I, I, I want to get your opinion on. And it is two seconds long. Okay. A cartoon character comes out. And takes a marker and writes on what I assume is a whiteboard. Mm-hmm. Remember Pearl and then falls through a hole. I believe he's shot. Is that is he shot? I thought he fell through a hole. I got that he was shot. Okay. <laughs> I assume the rest of that message is remember Pearl Harbor. Yes. Okay. When was Pearl Harbor? December 7th, 1941. 1941. So this is 30 years after Pearl Harbor. Yes. Okay. So this is like someone making a 9-11 joke in 10 years. Yes. Okay. That's already a little uncomfortable to think of it that way. Yes. What do you think this meant? I I don't know. My take on this was... He was writing Remember Pearl Harbor, and then he got Pearl Harbored. He got okay. sneak attacked. Yes. Which is horrendous. Yeah, like it wouldn't be cool to tell that now. Well, it, it would be like if someone was writing Remember 9-11 and they got hit by a plane. Yeah. And the only thing that's like saving me to think that that's not what it meant was they do this sketch three more times, but he writes something different. Right. I don't remember what it was, but I I. know the second time I went, oh, thank God. Yes. So, like, I can't, we can't go through it bit by bit. We did the best we could trying to explain what this show was to you. Yeah, it was bananas. But, like, I just want you to remember constant noise, very fast cuts, quick movements, and just the relief we felt. When we went to a commercial. Yeah, and it was very weirdly jarring. 
because the commercials are clearly way better. I don't know if you had this experience, but every time they cut to a commercial, I actually thought, okay, this is the show. I had that with... I actually... I'd never heard of Bufferin, which was the migraine uh, headache medicine that was the first ad, and I thought it was like an oops, I crap my pants yeah. style. I thought it was a bit. And they also had Whistle, which was like a, a cleaning... Which had like... Way better production values than the show? Yeah, when the commercials to the that run during your show are blowing you away in yes. terms of production, entertainment, and let's be honest, humor? And sense. <laughs> like, that's a bad show. Yes. So, what, what else can you tell us about this show? So, I realized um, I have a resource... That I have not used to its full ability. Okay. Uh, because of my job, I have access to the New York Times archives. Oh, okay. So I found the New York Times article where they, like, talk about... Turn on. The show being canceled. The show was officially announced as canceled on the 11th. Okay. Which is the day before the second episode should have aired. Okay. Uh, a lot of people found it unacceptable in the early time slot. They moved up the, like, I told you the lead out was the movie. Right. They moved out up the movie the first week when they couldn't figure out what to do. Okay. Uh, they call it immediately the worst show in, uh, the worst show of this season and most past seasons. And they call it, like, a, you, we have to talk a little bit about laughing. Laughing. Okay. Is what Turn On wanted to be. Laughing was successful. Okay. Laughing had a lo- <laughs> successful. Yeah. Well, Laughing had some of that like anti-establishment, but Laughing made sense. Yeah. And like, you've heard the phrase "suck it to me." Yes. Laughing. I know. Yeah, like. I like Laughing actually. Yeah, but Laughing is what Turn On aspired to. Okay. And it didn't work. So they actually, like, ABC would uh, rerun Dracula. They were desperate. They called it a fiasco. It got savaged in the New York Times. They didn't know what to do. They clearly thought the show was going to run. The show got an order for 16 episodes. Yeah. And and to, to think that that raw footage is just sitting somewhere. Yeah, like, and they didn't cancel it immediately. They didn't know what to do. Because, again, the show was preempted mid-airing in a few markets and not aired at all in others. Right. And, like, the premiere party also doubled as its rap party. Yes. Because of this. So they really didn't know what to do. And they had to just kind of try to figure out what they were going to do with the time slot, even. So at first they just... Said that they were like, we're going to refigure out the show. 8.30, clearly a bad idea. We're going to figure out where we're going to put the show. And then they canceled it a week later. Okay. So I think that's super interesting. Reviews were terrible. A lot of more conservative areas were horrified by the content. Okay. There's a quote about a uh, network executive saying, 
if your naughty little if your naughty little boys want to write bad words on the wall, they can't do it on my TV. Okay. Like they were very, very derisive against this show. The political content was very ahead of its time. It's super interesting because a lot of the jokes seem kind of quaint now. Yeah. And I found the Excedrin ad to be as offensive as anything in the show. Yeah. <laughs> like, the ads were actually kind of offensive. Yeah, there was a couple offensive things I remember. Not saying. the whistle ad. The whistle ad was... Yes, it was. You didn't think the whistle ad was, was offensive? It was a butler... And it was some sort of song, like, they put lemon and whistle. They yeah. put lemon and whistle. It was a butler, then it was a fat maid, and then it was a sexy maid. Yeah, but it was very, like, it was very just trope, trope, trope singing. Mm-hmm. It kind of, like, I feel like we've seen, for cleaning ads forever, the butler or the maid being like, oh, this is great. I'd rather have it be someone being paid for their services than the current thing where it's like a housewife. Yeah, okay. Where it's like, this makes my life easier. It's like, well, okay, these okay. people are singing about how their job is slightly easier, and that's pretty great. I was more thinking of, like, no woman would wear that actual French-maid outfit to clean. <laughs> well, they also, like, they have less than 30 seconds to telegraph for their domestic servants. Yeah, okay. He's also wearing, like, shirt garters on his elbows. Which I noticed because I'd, like, not run across those in my life. So, I have a theory about this show. Yes. This, to me, seems like the earliest example of technophobia. Okay. Where it's like, computers are going to come in here and take all of our jobs. Yes. Because, like, computers are, are the new thing. And they can, they're going to be smarter than us. And pretty soon we're going to get to a point where we hit a button and boom, there's a television show. Let's actually try to do that and show what that would look like. And I think it was intentionally made slightly horrifying so that it can kind of be like, yeah, computers suck. I could see that. Like, we need the human element of, like, input and connectivity and things like that because a computer is just going to throw stuff at us. Right. They're not really going to understand humans. They're just going to understand like data says that this is funny. This is that whole idea that I had about binary comedy. Right. It's a lot of stuff that like pun intended ones and zeros. Exactly. That's that's the the point I was making. Like you look at it on paper like this is a joke. Show it. This is a joke. Show it. And it's just a computer checking these boxes and throwing it up. So, like, I think what they're trying to, like, express here is, like, computer-generated humor when it exists, because it's coming, and be afraid, will be cold and harsh and emotionless. So this is a prequel to Black Mirror. Kind of. Do you want me to... There's a short... Review from the New York Times that never mentions how offensive it is. Okay. Would you like me to do a dramatic reading? No. No, good. <laughs> I'm very excited for this. It is a television axiom that if a producing firm hits the jackpot with a different format, it is sound business to cash in on imitations before public taste changes. George Slatter and Ed Friendly, who devised Laugh-In, have heeded the admonition in Turn On, which made its debut last night on the American Broadcast Company's network. It could be the next variation will be called 
over and out. Turn on is one half the length and one half the quality of Laugh-In. It is an uninterrupted melange of sight gags, graphics, electronics, and animations. None very original or particularly funny. The stock company is singularly undistinguished, and the program is run off at breakneck speed, a wise course under the circumstances. Turn on could be the opening paragraph of the advanced obituary of Laugh-In. Wow. That is what I like to call savage. So let me ask you this. Why do you think they called it turn on? Because, like, you would turn on electronic, and they wanted to go for the, like, little dirty joke of, like, someone's turn on. Yeah. So I definitely think there's a sex element to the title of, like, it's a turn on. But I also think that there's an idea of turning on the show, as in turning against it. Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> it's definitely, it is a battle to get through. Yeah. Like, this is one of the first one episode shows that I've been, like, we we watched both episodes because they were available to us. But there was a brief debate over whether to jump right into the second episode. We almost watched the Muppets pilot Sex and Violence yeah, as we, like a palate cleanser. We almost took a break. And I believe what I said to you was... Let's watch some of the second episode to see if it's any if it's markedly different because maybe they made some changes after the pilot and then we ended up watching the whole thing and uh, there are regrets. Yeah, the uh, I was what freaked me out was the credits thing because I kept making notes. Eight minutes thirty seconds, still opening credits. Ten minutes, still opening credits. 18 minutes. The show has already been canceled and they're still opening credits. Yeah, it's because there's no credits at the end. It's like, these are the credits. It's it's so just, like, crazy. And it should be mentioned that there's a timer when you go to the Paley Center that tells you how much longer you have on the computer. Yes. When we were done, there was, like, 20-some minutes left. And we're like, what are we going to do with the rest of our time? And our computer just shut off. Yes. Like, oh, I guess we're done. Yeah. It was actually really disturbing. <laughs> it was a little creepy. Yeah, like, we just quietly left. We didn't try to fix it. We were like, all right, bye-bye. Yeah, um, CBS and NBC really rejected the show, but for some reason ABC liked it. Like, CBS was like, hey, this show made people physically sick. We're not doing it. Really? Yeah, I mean, sensibilities were way different in the 60s. Yeah, like... You need to also, like, really think about the time period here. Yes. Like, this is before Nintendo. So, like, the way the human brain dealt with, like, motion on screen Mm -hmm. was still very sensitive. Yes. Like... Executives actually even said, like, people can't look at more than one thing at the same time. They're going to get confused. Yeah. Like... It should really be noted that I was made dizzy by this show. Yes. This show from 1969, right? Mm-hmm. This show from 1969 made me dizzy while I watched it. We then left, went down an elevator, and I played Spider-Man VR. Yes. Where I was a virtual Spider-Man swinging through New York City and felt better than I did watching Turn On. Yeah, I did a roller coaster simulator and I was pretty sick when we left the Paley Center, if we're <laughs> yeah. being honest. You you didn't have as much time to recover. No. Or, but like, I was so much more comfortable being like, I'm Spider-Man on top of a crane. <clears throat> yes. Than watching Turn On. <laughs> 
Oh, well, anything else uh, to add about this insane show we watched? No, honestly, like, uh, one of the interesting things is among nerds of a certain kind, this is the white whale. Right. Like, we got to do a thing. One of the appealing aspects of doing this show was that it was something that we could cover that was not common. It's one of those shows that, like, we talked about this a little bit with Crybaby Lane. Yeah. That the fact that it's lost media makes it fascinating. Yeah. More than the content itself. It's We're covering something that the number of people on the planet that have seen it is in the low thousands. Yes. Maybe even the high hundreds. Yeah, because, I mean, the show would have aired just about 50 years ago. Yeah. So... The people who watched it as children are 60. Yeah. And then you have probably a handful of weirdos like us. Yeah. So, and it never re-aired. Yeah. So you had to be watching it that night while you were fairly young. Mm Mm-hmm. And it should also be noted that the Paley Center's version of it, at the end, starts to break apart. Oh, my yeah, God. The quality just, like, started to, like, break in. The end in. of the second episode starts to fall apart. I think I'm in a horror movie. Yeah. I actually start to, like... It almost turned into the Max Headroom incident. <laughs> like, I was actually really unnerved yeah. when we left the Paley Center. We, uh, we, we watched a cursed video. We went and looked at red pandas at the zoo after this. <laughs> because, like, I needed to look at animals. We went to Central Park so I could pet dogs. Yeah. Like, that was literally the next thing we had to do, was I was like, I need air, I need dogs, and I need to look at a red panda. In the video, please place a picture of a red panda right here on the YouTube version. I will try. I will try to do that. I mean, I've got one that we own the rights to, because I I took it. I'm just busy. (laughs) So, any, any last comments before we give this a verdict? Um... It's considered one of the worst TV shows of all time. Uh, Some people think it's misunderstood. It's, I mean, it's really one of those shows that the fact that it's hard to find made it special. Yeah. And the fact that it was canceled mid-first airing is why it's one of the Legends, and that's why it's part of Legends Month. Yeah. So, is this a Stay Tuned or a Stay Doomed? Oh my god, it's a Stay Doomed. It's a stay doomed for you? Yeah, I almost got sick. That that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, for me, it is a stay tuned. Because I've been thinking about this show a lot since we saw it. And it's just kind of like been haunting my brain. And uh, I sat down here on this very couch and I, I threw on YouTube looking for something to watch. And you know what is constantly being suggested to me on YouTube? Vine compilation videos. Oh, this is... This is a Vine compilation video. Oh, God. It really is a cursed video. Yeah, it's, it is just jokes that are seven seconds or less. Yeah, this is like Bo Burnham's Vines. Like, yeah. that kind of humor. It, 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 that is what it is. It cuts from one thing to another. Like, the things that you're seeing are not connected. It's a Vine compilation... If it was produced by Tim and Eric. Oh, God, Adult Swim would like this show. I would like to say right now 
that if you are listening listening to this show, I want you to tweet at Adult Swim and tell them to air turn on. Yes. It is the perfect place to air this. Air turn on on Adult Swim. It would be a massive event because what this show is at its core, it's a Tim and Eric project. It is a Vine compilation. It's too many cooks. It's this house has people in it. It is a show. Unedited footage of a bear. It's unedited footage of a bear. It is just madness that doesn't belong on television. Yeah, and this would be perfect for that, like, perfect. four in the morning, it's perfect. with you slot. It's perfect for off the air. It is perfect for off the air on Adult Swim. So if you are listening to this, if you're in the, the reach of my voice, tweet at Adult Swim and tell them, get the rights to, to turn on and please air it. And if you're Adult Swim, please just give me a heads up when you're going to air it so I can hide. Yeah, so we cannot watch it. <laughs> no, no, other people will, but I'm going to hide under my couch. We personally, not we, us and the listeners, we personally will not experience it again. But it's owned by ABC. Like, what, they're not doing anything with it. Hey, Disney Plus. Yeah, put it on Disney Plus. <laughs> but... Honestly, I think if you take this show and you put it on Adult Swim, don't like do the Adult Swim thing where you don't advertise it. Right. And you show it at midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., it will be a sensation. Yes. And so for these reasons, I'm giving it a stay tuned. That's fair. Okay. So, what Ooh. are we watching next week? We are going to be watching a domestic comedy about... A wacky man and his wacky wife and their wacky neighbors called Heil, honey, I'm home. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> it is a domestic comedy about Hitler. Yes, indeed. It aired only one episode, and uh, I-, I wonder why people didn't like it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I wonder why. We'll, we'll watch it for you and figure it out. <laughs> uh, it's available on YouTube. You yeah. can watch it with us. And if you want to get a jump on the episode after that, because there's a lot to that one, uh, we're going to be watching Super Train to close out Legends Month. Yeah, that's... The that's show a, that almost bankrupted a network. That's a meaty one, so we thought we'd give you a head start on that one. Yeah, the pi- there's a pilot movie, it's an hour and a half, and then there's eight more episodes. Laura, where can people find us? You can email us at thestaydoomedshow at gmail.com, or you can put us on Facebook and Twitter at Stay Doomed. And uh, where can people see us live? People who look astonishingly like us will be participating in Cosplay Pro Wrestling at Castle Point Anime Con. Ooh, yeah. So be sure to check that out April 27th, I believe. 28th. 28th. Yes, the Sunday. Yes. So be sure to check this out. If you want to talk to me about how you gave her the big one and she thanked you for it, I'm at TV's Noah. If you also cannot tell... When 60s ads are satire or not, I'm at Priorities. Until next time, stay doomed.